Hello from Houston, and welcome to the Highlights Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. Our goal is to learn, lead, network, and serve. And welcome back to the Highlights Podcast. My name is Femi, and I'm a transactional attorney here in Houston. And my name is Patrick. I'm an arbitration lawyer also here in Houston. Well, podcast listeners, we have a very special guest. Um, We're going to learn about the wonderful world of public defense. Uh, We have Phil Gallagher here, who is the Supervisory Assistant Federal Public Defender for the Southern District of Texas, uh, and he works here in Houston. Welcome to the podcast, Phil. Thank you very much. It's good to be talking with you both. Awesome. And so you're, you're also a trial chief for the office, correct? Right. We have... In our Houston office, about 10 trial attorneys. So I'm the supervisor of that group. We also have a separate appellate section, which I've worked in in the past, um, okay. but they have a separate uh, separate chief. Perfect. Um, Phil received his Bachelor's of Science in Foreign Service from Georgetown University, and he also received his JD from NYU. Phil has been practicing for 21 years. Um, and so it seems if, if you got your JD in NYU, you started out in New York. More or less. I clerked for a year, actually, just randomly in Memphis in the Western District of Tennessee okay. with the district judge there, which was great. But yes, then I worked for um, uh, essentially five years in New York before moving down here in 2004. Okay. And where are you originally from? Are you from I'm New from, York? Uh, right outside. I'm from New Jersey, suburban New York. New Jersey. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool. So, so go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I guess what what led you to Houston then? And you said you'd spent a random sit in 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 Tennessee, Memphis. So, what what brought you to Houston? Uh, my wife is a better advocate than I am. We had uh, started <laughs> dating while I was working in New York, and uh, she grew up and her family was in San Antonio, and so when we got to the point of talking about having children, she wanted to get closer to home. So frankly, I had spent almost no time in Houston and I just sent resumes off to the Federal Defender's Office in the Western District and the Southern District of Texas. And I was hired here. So we came to Houston. Hmm. And so does that mean that while you, those five years where you were in the Northeast, were you all doing the same kind of work or did you, was there a, a career change? Yes. There, well, it depends on how you look at it. But yes, there was a career change. I certainly wasn't doing public defense up there. I worked for two years. I was always doing public interest, but in my view, public interest work. I worked for two years with the Brennan Center, which is a national um, on you know voting issues and access to justice issues, which was great. And then there was a fellowship right after my clerkship. And then I worked for the next couple of years with a, a law firm, Gibbons, but they hired me to just do their pro, just to do pro bono work. So while the firm was, it's a, I forget, it's one of the bigger firms in New Jersey. I don't know the ranking. And I was at the New York office, but all I did was, you know, pro bono cases. And I started that, I think the week after 9-11. So, you know, we did a lot of, you know, uh, access, you know, we represented folks in immigration proceedings and challenge the uh, 
secrecy around uh, many of the immigration proceedings that was happening right after 9-11. Um, my boss, former Judge Gibbons, uh, argued uh, the Guantanamo case in the Supreme Court while we were there. And it was an exciting time to be doing that work in New York. And then, yeah, and then and some, the only criminal work was uh, some capital post-conviction work. Wow, it's like it was a, a very, uh, yeah, it was, it was like a gripping start to your career. Yeah, no, I really, I was very lucky, both at the Brennan Center and particularly at Gibbons, to get thrown right into a, a kind of broad mix of very interesting topics with some excellent lawyers. Judge Gibbons had been on the Third Circuit for, I think, 20 years before he came back to private practice. and was just a lovely man, unfortunately, passed away a year ago. And um, I had a supervisor who actually was a former federal public defender, uh, uh, Larry Lesberg, a partner at that law firm, who was excellent also. So, so Phil, um, you know, you, you had such a varied experience in various aspects of public interest work. How did you land on being a public defender? Well, as I mentioned, uh, I, my wife wanted to move to Texas. And frankly, the type of work I was doing in New York was harder to find down here. Uh, particularly at a, I needed to support myself, right? So I needed to, you know, I couldn't just earn an income from coming right out of law school. Uh, and frankly, the options were, I, I, I think they're probably more now, but I wasn't able to find a lot of other options that fit that. So the federal defender was the, frankly, the first thing that came to mind because even though it wasn't exactly what I was doing, it was something that I could, you know, defending indigent people of federal charges is something that would be would, would have been would have been interesting to me anyway, and it was something I was considering in New York. Although there, I had deeper connections, so I think I had more. I probably would have had more options, as opposed to Texas, where I didn't really have many, certainly any connections okay. in the legal community. Um, so yes, I came here, and it worked. It's been it's been great to do this as as public service work for uh, sixteen years now. I guess now. You know, for I, I think everybody has a frame of reference as to what a public defender is. But if you had to describe it, what is a public defender? We do our, we do our best to counsel people charged with federal crimes who are usually in uh, um, the most scary uh, situation of their right. life. Uh, and oftentimes facing very serious and complicated charges. So one question I have, and I feel like this comes up, especially with, with talking to non-lawyers, um, but I'm sure the difficulty of someone who you think or it sounds like they're guilty, and I think there's, what is your philosophy and how, how do you tell people about like why that work is important to you? And does that reason change whether you're talking to a lawyer or a non-lawyer? Or that explanation change? Probably a little bit. Well, and, I'll, and I'm not, this is not a criticism, obviously. I mean, it's not something that comes up among lawyers very often. Um, maybe it's just whom I speak to, but uh, most lawyers kind of understand why everyone deserves high quality uh, defense when they're charged with a felony. Um, but for uh, people, non lawyers who are concerned about those wonder about those things i think i think you can liken it to experiences we all have in our own lives when you are accused of something you can all have been accused of things whether it's a family breach of trust or uh 
some disloyalty to a family member and wanting to be on a, at least an even footing, footing with uh, people who are accusing you of something. And that would be true whether it is something that is true or something that is not true um, so that you can work it out to your best benefit and yeah. fairly. Yeah, I feel like it definitely is something that I think people who it, it simultaneously probably what people have the most exposure to who are non-lawyers as far as like what they imagine being a lawyer like um, and the, what being a lawyer is like within that, at the same time that maybe makes it unrelatable or hard to imagine for people. But I think that's a perfect explanation for why why that kind of work is important. And the other the other thing I think about sometimes is people are concerned about the nature of the charges, which, you know, sometimes charges are, I mean, obviously we, we, we represent people in a range of charges, some frankly that I think probably shouldn't be criminal in the first place and others that are the most serious and we all yeah. would agree that um, should be crimes. But they all deserve the same service. It's, I don't understand why, I mean, a doctor wouldn't choose whether or not to provide medical yeah. services to something based on whether or not they think that person's a good yeah. person or not, or nor would any other right. professional. Right. Um, and so I don't see my job isn't helping anyone. I mean, it would be deeply unethical for me to help anyone commit a crime. And <laughs> certainly no one's ever suggested that. But I am I am providing my services to help people deal with a terrible situation, just like all yeah, sorts of exactly, other professionals. Exactly. So one question I have, and I think Femi mentions a frame of reference, and I think I have definitely a knowledge gap here on, so you're a federal public defender is there a such thing as a state or a local public defender? And do those exist in Texas? Oh, sure. So the federal public defenders are, you know, we're technically in the third in the judicial branch. So my boss is appointed by the Fifth Circuit judges every four Interesting. years. Okay. Um, so. Um, and that's true. And so our office, I forget the date, but was founded about 74 or 75. Um, and so it's existed since then. But and all we do, all I all we do is practice in this. Well, the federal court, Southern District of Texas, Fifth Circuit and Supreme Court. The there's a Harris County public defender, which is, I think, about five years old now, uh, run by Alex Bunnan, which is has grown greatly over the past number of years and lots of other so in texas my best of my knowledge it's county by county is the defense system a lot of counties had it before harris county i think harris county was late to that um but since it's happened in harris county it's done it's taken hold really well so we talk with them but we're frankly entirely separate systems actually as a weird note i'm not even admitted to the texas bar I've never practiced in the Texas courts. I've always maintained my member. I've just never bothered to switch out from New okay. York and New Jersey. And of course, I'm admitted to all the federal courts I've yeah, practiced yeah. in. But interesting. And so, so, um, so prior to Harris County setting up that office, I guess they they did what what I've heard is sort of, you know, they just assigned the case to members of the Texas bar. Is that what was happening? Because, okay, right. Yeah, and that's still, and that happens in federal court also, right? Because we can't handle all indigent appointments, one, because of resources, and then two, in any case, with more than one defendant, we can obviously only represent one defendant. There'd be a conflict of interest in us representing multiple okay. defendants. So there's other defendants either would hire counsel or, if they can't afford it, have appointed counsel, a counsel appointed to them. 
And so it's, and that still happens in Harris County also that council will be appointed. But yes, now the, um, I don't know the percentage, but I imagine that, you know, a significant percentage is now handled professionally by public defenders in the Harris County Public Defender's Office. Um, so for, for people like me who are, yeah, I guess, super nerdy, <laughs> I, I'm always interested in like just the organizational structure of these offices. So you have the, you have the public defender at the top. So how does it then trickle down um, just in terms of the structure of the so, office? Sure. So we have, so the, the, the Fifth Circuit appointed Margie Myers, who has been the, the federal defender since 2004. And so she, she's the federal defender for the Southern District of Texas. So she's here yeah. in Houston, but we have offices in Corpus Christi, Brownsville, Laredo, and McAllen, as well as Houston. Um, in each of those offices have, a, varies, but a number of lawyers there. Um, the only office with appellate attorneys is in Houston. We centralize that. All the other offices are all trial attorneys. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, and so, and then the only, so the only, Houston handles Galveston cases, Corpus handles Victoria cases, um, but that, uh, yeah, I think that's, is that the structure? And so there's separate federal public defenders in each of the other three federal districts in Texas um, uh, based in, you know, uh, it's not San Antonio. I think she's in El Paso and Dallas, and I forget where the defender in the Eastern District is based. But right, they're, they're right. And, and so, do do certain public defenders end up specializing in certain defense? Like, okay, this guy handles, you know, homicides. This guy handles sex assault. This guy handles uh, white collar in in the public defense office. We. Okay. not done that we are all okay. generalists so the nature i i actually i as supervisor assign cases now when they come in and part of, i do try to keep things fair frankly to avoid someone getting um a particular type of case so they get burned out so I, every, but once people are experienced and up to speed then yes everyone kind of gets a, a range of cases okay, okay. so yeah yeah i think can i get I will jump, can I just jump in because you're talking about the nature of cases. I think it'd be the, na the, pers the, the nature of cases in federal court, I think may not be entirely what you imagine, sure. right? Because more than anything else, we, uh, federal, the, the federal cases are charges of illegal reentry, okay. right? So people charged with the felony of coming back to the United States after being deported. So that is the, the greatest number of cases charged in this district by, I don't even know the yeah. numbers, but a very large number. And then only then do you have drug cases um, and then felon in possession cases, you know, someone who has a gun, who's not right, supposed right. to have a gun. Um, we rarely, frankly, we've had very, relatively few murders. It's just don't fall under federal jurisdiction right. very often. Um, lots of drug crimes. Uh, and then uh, child pornography and uh, some sex trafficking. And oh, and fraud is another uh, a significant thing. But more than, I mean, the, the largest single set of cases I have at any one point are related to illegal reentry. So generally opposite you in court is the U.S. Attorney's Office, right? Is It's a U.S. Attorney? So yeah, I guess always. I'm just curious, yeah. both in, there's a little bit of asymmetry there. And I think you pointing, it was surprising to me. I feel like I may have heard it at one point, but it was surprising when you mentioned that uh, the public defender's office is overseen by 
um, the judiciary. Uh, is there a reason for that? And do you think that, like, I guess from a policy perspective, I'm interested on why that is and why it's not its own sort of separate entity. Well, I guess, well, it has to be, this is, this may go a little beyond my expertise, but my understanding is, I mean, it has to be somewhere in the federal government. And you certainly don't yeah. want it in the executive branch because that's who we're litigating against. So then you're kind of left with the judiciary and Congress. Yeah. Um, so I, as a practical matter, in my experience, you know, I've only, I mean, Margie's my boss who, you know, I've worked for for 14 years. So I like quite a bit and respect tremendously. She's been reappointed each of the times. I've never heard of any attempt of the courts to interfere with handling of cases or anything else. I mean, they appoint, it's, it's, I'm sure, I know they look into the process when reappointment comes up, but once they choose who's in charge, my understanding is that yeah. it's, it's hands off. So they're, I, I've never had any heard of any hint of interference from supervision. Yeah. That was just an interesting thing that I, I'd never really thought about. Um, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. So Phil, just talking about the, I guess, the granularities of your job, what does the day-to-day -day for a defense attorney look like, uh, especially a, a federal public defender? And I guess we can first think about this, you know, maybe February of 2020, and then, you know, May of 2020 when things got a little different. I, I feel like those are two separate spheres of practice to a degree. So there's not a lot of time sitting home. Uh, when doing trial work. I mean, because we all have, I think I'm at, I have about 45 felony cases right now, just slightly on the high end, um, but not excessive. I, that, but as you probably know, the criminal courts all along the southern border are much busier than elsewhere in yeah. the country. Mm -hmm. So while I think what we're handling is probably about the same as probably the defenders in other cities along the southern border. It's probably outward, would be considered outrageous by federal defenders in, you know, the heartland or in the Northeast or wherever else. Um, but yeah, it's all we go. Well, now we're not. Well, let's go back. Let's go do pre-COVID first. I mean, we most of what about two thirds of my clients are detained uh, in one of two places. Some are held at a contract facility in okay. Conroe. Uh, so we have some hour away and some are held at the federal detention center with us in walking distance downtown over towards Minute Maid Park. Uh, we would go there once or twice a week for several hours um, and probably in court at least three times a week and sometimes multiple times on a day, just wow. depending on how the settings go. Um, and then, frankly, constant phone calls with prosecutors, family members, clients, and then and obviously meeting with clients who are out of custody also or talking on the phone and whatnot with them. Um, it's fairly, there are not a lot of quiet days. Uh, and that's true. And with COVID, the thing that changes is obviously I've cut way back on prison visits, though I've done some in uh, court, is, but most of that, you're just doing that from your desk, right? So we've managed to, mo the, both detention facilities have been pretty helpful with scheduling legal calls. Uh, so we're doing more of those as opposed to in-person visits, which is not ideal, but it's better right. than nothing. Um, and most federal court has been handled virtually, though that's not that, that's not entirely true. Um, there's some judges who still prefer to have things done in person. So, you know, we, I've still been in court 
you know, once or tw- once a week or so through COVID, I think that's probably better. Okay. So as trial chief, it sounds like you're still practicing law a good amount, but you had mentioned at least some sort of administrative responsibilities, at least in assigning cases to other, um, to other federal defenders. Um, is there anything else that your role as trial chief entails that's different than uh, when you started? Probably nothing that would be all that interesting. You know, we, I mean, obviously we're involved with hiring decisions and uh, helping more mentoring, but a lot of, frankly, a lot of that is done by even the more senior attorneys, senior trial attorneys, but now I'm the senior trial attorney. So I do a fair bit of that. Um, and just, or, or it's just, some of it's just also just being a backstop when things come up as it does, particularly now in COVID in court, right? Um, folks uh, call constantly, whether from the courthouse or family members of clients with questions and concerns. And so I've been around, I've seen more of them than lots of other folks. So I kind of, I held all of that, but I have a, the same caseload as all my, um, uh, I, I've kept that all pretty even. So yes, I'm in court as much as anyone else in my office. Yeah. Now, talking about caseload, this is something that has always at least boggled my mind. Um, and certainly as, as a transactional attorney, I feel like at some point it might not make that much sense. But so, you know, there is a caseload. And I think just <laughs> in terms of the presence in the media, it seems like it, it's just like a never ending onslaught. But practically, there has to be a way to manage it. So how does the office manage you know just the the constant influx of cases that come in and how do they maintain you know ensuring that each each defendant gets adequate defense that's a great question and it's a real concern because it's honestly not something we have much control over uh because we don't choose our cases we are every case i own well there's a few exceptions but Almost every case I have, we are appointed cold by the court. Yeah. Um, so if things got to a point where we were concerned about not doing uh, a good job because of just the sheer number of cases, we'd have to tell the judges, please don't assign us some cases for some time. Um, but but our job is to handle the you know the, these cases. So we 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 pretty much take what we get. Um, so frankly, and we've been like, we've hired, I think now, like I said, we have 10 trial attorneys now. I think when I started in the office doing trial work, we only had five or six. So we've gotten bigger, but frankly, that's part, partly because the U.S. Attorney's Office has gotten bigger. Um, yeah. And so they bring more cases also. Um, so it really is, uh, it's, it's, it's tricky. We just, we sometimes just work harder. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, I certainly just from even the civil side of just understanding how things are. I mean, there's, there's definitely a financial aspect of taking on a case um, that encourages like civil litigators to take on more cases than they need. But certainly as you stated, because you guys are appointed these cases, I mean, there's only so much wiggle room that you can have to take or not take a case. And, and of course, I know every, every public defender wants to take the case and, and defend these clients, but, you know, at some point there's a limit. Um, and so how does the, the appointment system for, 
I guess, federal, federally barred attorneys come into play? Is, is that something that's set up um, as, a, as a standard? Like, okay, if you're barred in the federal bar, you're on the, like, the huge list of attorneys that might be able to take the a case? Wheel? I feel like I've heard the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. So there is, it's a little more than that. So you have to, you don't get, you have to apply to be, it's called the Criminal Justice Act panel from the law that authorizes courts to pay for them. Uh, And so lawyers have to apply to be a member of the Criminal Justice Act panel. And then I actually haven't been part of that process. I know Margie Myers, my boss has, and uh, I think Judge Bennett is the judicial liaison right now. Um, And uh, David Adler is their chair, who's their excellent uh, criminal defense attorney in town. But so there's a panel. I don't actually know the size of the panel, but you have to apply to get on there and show that you've got a certain level of skill and experience. So it's not just anybody. So when the court appoints someone, a, a non-public defender to your case, it should be uh, someone who can handle it because they've been there before. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And so we've talked a little bit about I think earlier, as far as you mentioned that there's a Harris County Public Defender's Office, um, I assume there are also, I mean, there have to be also private defenders um, that some, that defend people against uh, crimes, federal crimes that they're charged with or state crimes. Is there sort like something, like a cr- criminal defense bar in Houston? And what does that look like? It, it, like the aggregate of all these different settings that people can work in? I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, there's obviously, I mean, there, there's a range of private attorneys, some of whom there are a number of attorneys who both take criminal justice act cases. So appointed cases, but all also retained on other cases. I don't know that many people, if anyone can make a living just as a criminal justice act attorney, because I don't think any one person gets that many of those appointments. Um, and then there, and, but you know, a lot of the, well-known attorneys in town you've heard of you know the the Daguerans and uh right the hard and all i mean there are have firms of gerger. we have you know i have former colleagues now who are working with david gerger and rusty harden um another colleague had been working for a while with uh Daguerin and just went off on his own to set up his own private defense firm um but there's i mean frankly the way we the way you saw them was just frankly from being in court when we were there uh, yeah. uh, up until a year ago. So, you know, I knew who was in, who handled federal cases because I'm in federal court several days a week. Um, and so it, that is frankly one great benefit from being in my office is one, I'm there, but so are my colleagues. So whenever anything mm-hmm. interesting or novel is happening in federal court, we know about mm-hmm. it and can share that information. So try to take advantage of it for our own clients. So uh, it, it's, yeah, we try to make sure all we're very well up on it uh, from that and obviously from doing our research. But yeah, so, but I don't know that there's a real, and, and frankly, a lot of attorneys who do federal criminal defense don't, can't make their living just doing federal criminal defense. Outside the federal defender's office, I don't, there are very few attorneys who only do federal cases. Mm. Most will do both state and federal. Um, and so obviously you're splitting their time. So Phil, you know, we, we have a good overview of what public defenders do and particularly what you do as a trial chief. Um, what are some of the core challenges that public defenders face 
that are specific to their career? Um, you know, are, are there issues that arise due to changes in administration of the White House? Um, of course, you know, we spoke about heavy caseloads. Um, and another one is, you know, how do public defenders work to garner client trust, especially when, you know, they have so many different clients and um, different timelines and, and things like this? Like, just, I guess, if you could just start start with one. I, I know there have to be a, a lot of court challenges. But. Right. Well, I'll just, with what you started with, I mean, that the client trust issue is a real significant one. Um, and it, I mean, there are all sorts of reasons for it, right? One, just there's a lot of assumptions, you know, I think everyone's probably seen in the media of jokes about public defenders and you're going to get stuck with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. which is, you know, I know who I, I know my background. I know who I work with, uh, you know, uh, we're better than almost anyone you're going to be. I mean, there are obviously better lawyers in the world than me, but we're good and we share information and work quite hard. Um, Right. So, but there is, there's that public, there is that public perception. And then there are also with a lot of our clients issues of language. A lot of, uh, several of our trial attorneys speak Spanish. I do not, unfortunately, but I represent Spanish speaking clients. Um, and we have uh, uh, investigators and interpreter on staff who help translate so I can communicate effectively. But that's another level of uh, a difference uh, yeah. that is a, is a problem. So a lot of it is, I mean, as best we can, just taking the time to talk through the cases and showing people we know, making sure uh, defendants or people are clear that they get to make all the choices in the case. We are not trying to dump a case or rush a case. I will try any case <laughs> any client of mine wants to bring. I mean, wants to uh, have a trial. I'm not trying to, I will recommend someone to not do that if it's in their best interest, but if they make a decision the otherwise with their eyes wide open, great. Yeah, um, I'm. I'd love having a trial, or you know, fighting a suppression motion uh, if we have if we have grounds for it. Um, but I think the main thing is just time uh, and patience and showing and being able to answer questions. And I think if, as long as we can have that time with folks, which again was easier when things were in person, because then. Uh, I think it's easier just to show that, uh, to demonstrate that rapport, but we can do it still somewhat with uh, the phones. Then people realize, yeah, we are working um, uh, for, you know, as hard as we can uh, for them. I'm trying to think you asked, um, one of the, the other challenge I'll mention, uh, just in, the, in response to your more broad question. I mean, frankly, I don't want to quite say burnout, but just, yeah, there is a, there is some level of fatigue that can just get you because as you know, the downside to representing people and trying to help them in very difficult circumstances is that oftentimes the help won't be enough and they will wind up with a terrible punishment, um, which, yeah. you know, whether or not in a particular case that is just or not is, is kind of besides the point to that person and their family, they are now being taken away from them for, perhaps decades yeah. uh and that's terrible news uh and that you know yeah. and some of my clients who've gotten the longest sentence i've had lovely relationships with um you know some some you know someone can it's easy to get decades on a on a drug case yeah. without ever you know committing violence against somebody uh and th that's trying right and you know you know you get to know the family members you're preparing for sentencing and then at the end of it it's just a terrible, terrible thing. And that's, that's 
that's just hard and we all have to deal you know we all deal with it in different ways but that is a that is a right with those and i'm sure many other challenges in mind i i'm curious you mentioned being involved in hiring decisions does the the public defender's office hire people right out of law school and if so or even if not what do you what do y'all look for in in candidates whether they're suitable uh, for your office or not uh, we, I don't, certainly in Houston, we haven't hired anyone right out of law school. Uh, I haven't been involved in hiring decisions in our other offices. Um, we, we've had a, certainly in appeals, we've had people just off of clerkships. Mm. Um, and we do have one, actually we have one trial attorney now who came right off of clerkship, but generally we look for, you know, I think it's a lot of the same things. Any other, I mean, the, the skills and, uh, writing and reasoning that other legal employers look for. But then, you know, specifically a commitment to the work because, uh, you know, and, and the populations we're, we're, we'll be representing because that without that, it really is people will burn out or just want to leave because it is very hard. Yeah. So we do try to look for that and that people demonstrate in all sorts of ways. Sometimes it's from being a public defender before, but people have done lots of immigration work or some teaching in, you know, difficult schools. There's a range of ways, but that's obviously a huge plus. Yeah. How hard is it for you as a public defender who has to do this every day? Um, how how are you able to wake up and continue to do this work? You know that I mean it's so taxing. It's I'm sure it can be emotional, and yet you continue to do it. So what what keeps you going? Uh, a lot. We do. When there are glimmers that we that we do have successes periodically, which are very energizing, um, and I. I like, we have a great office. And so having other people who are also doing their best to help people in these situations, it's, it's really wonderful to be able to go to work with them. Unfortunately, I wish I could see them more than I do now. Mm. Um, but one day yeah. uh, that will come back. But really is, it is looking for the glimmers of hope. And frankly, even when the actual outcome is bad, even by explaining things and being there and holding someone's hand virtually or however, while they go through this, uh, you know, we know we can help somewhat, even if not as much as we would like to. Uh, and I think in, in many cases, it has to be enough. No, that's right. And, you know, one thing that I've learned just in my my limited career is sometimes a loss can also be a win if it's not like a greater loss, you know. So I'm I'm pretty sure, you know, there's been a defendant who was looking at a massive sentence, but due to you know, zealous defense, he may have received something that was much less. And I mean, quite frankly, that is a win. Oh, yeah. there is. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I had a case not too long ago where a client received a two-year sentence and the family, the family was frankly jumping up and down afterwards because when it had started, they'd feared something much worse. Uh, not unreasonably, it could have gone worse. And the couple the couple things all fell into place. So, yeah, in that case, in that case the two-year sentence was a great result. And frankly, I'm kind of happy about that. So that got me through that day. <laughs> right, right, right. It's perspective is, is so uh, enriching, you know, it, it helps people out. Um, well, Phil, I, I think we're, we're almost at the end. I just wanted to ask you, you know, as, as a lifelong New Yorker and also a lifelong Houstonian, uh, what are some of the aspects of Houston that you like? I, well, the, I think it goes without saying, the affordability and relative affordability. I mean, even my friends who 
have earned far more than me in New York, have much longer commutes. And I've been able to get home and coach my son's soccer games and things like that throughout my career, uh, which has been nice. Um, So, yeah, being able – and I like the way it's used and spread out. And it's just an amazingly diverse city. Um, If we could just not have so many 100 degrees days in the summer, I would complain – I would have nothing to complain about. I'm still not quite adapted to that. Same here. As as a person born and raised in Houston, those days do not get uh, any better. <laughs> I feel like there are less of those days than people fear, but there are a lot. <laughs> Especially when yeah. you're doing my yard. Well, thank you so much, Phil. We we truly appreciated the time that you spent talking to us just about you know your job as a federal public defender and and the greater context of of what you're doing to uh to afford people justice. Um, we thank you so much, and we hope thank you have you. a great thank day. Thank you for your interest, and thanks for your work on the compassionate release case. It was great. Of course. Right, Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of the High Lives Podcast, brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. To reach us, please email us at highlightspodcast at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you if you have any comments or questions about this episode or thoughts on a future one. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.